This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. That's me, Joel Godet. Glad to have you along with us. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe or download. Joining us here again on a Friday morning for some PXP Cast. It is the podcast about play-by-play guys for play-by-play guys, hosted by a play-by-play guy. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, feel free to do so. We are on Twitter at PXPCast. We are, uh, I am at Twitter, at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or you can hit me up via email as well. That is uh, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U, B-S-U for Ball State University dot E-D-U. If you did not catch our conversation last week with Tony Caridi, and you'd uh, like to go back through and, and dive into that really good kind of pre season football primer for you if you you're getting ready for football season and you haven't had the chance to go back and listen to last week's chat with West Virginia's Tony Caridi uh, really does a good job to kind of help get you in the mindset of football season and, and preparation for football season and how to get yourself uh, on the right page and kind of tuned up heading into uh, the first sport of the fall. We will go back to baseball, though, on today's episode of the podcast and uh, join Dave Jagler, who is with Charlie Slows, one of the voices of the Washington Nationals on the radio. He's been there almost the entire existence of the team. Team moved to Washington in 2005, and Dave Jagler came on board in 2006. And we start off the podcast talking about Dave's path, and we do that with a lot of people on the pod. Uh, And a lot of people have very unique paths, uh, as does Dave. His is interesting, though, from a baseball standpoint, and he talks about this right off the bat. You know, Dave didn't think he was going to be a Major League Baseball guy. He thought, if anything, he would be going to the NBA. Uh, Did not do baseball consistently, professionally, until 2005. He was with the Pawtucket Red Sox, who, of course, have a phenomenal lineage uh, in 2005. And then he was with the Nationals in 2006, and he's never looked back. Uh, But he's done a ton of different things from West Virginia to Charlotte to Boston, of course, to Pawtucket and now to Washington. It did include some baseball with the Charlotte Knights. Uh, It certainly included some talk show work and some update work, Uh, a lot of different things. Some news work in West Virginia. Speaking of Tony Caridi from last week's episode, uh, a lot of twists and turns for Dave Jagler that eventually wound him up uh, as the voice of the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Washington Nationals. We'll talk about that entire path for him, how talk show work influences his work now as a play-by-play guy. We'll talk about uh, baseball preparation, how he weaves storytelling. Uh, We will touch on the Bob Carpenter scorebook as a fellow Washington Nationals broadcaster. Uh, We will touch on Syracuse as well. Uh, Dave is another Syracuse guy, another WAER guy. I believe 1993, Dave Jagler graduated from Syracuse. So like we did with Tony Caridi last week, We'll touch on some college broadcasting stories and some of the other names that uh, you might be familiar with that were students at Syracuse and at WAER 
at the same time as Dave Jagler. Let's dive right in, though, and we'll start with the beginning of his career. Uh, the twists and turns, what led him to become one of the voices of the Washington Nationals. It was a long journey uh, that from the outset, uh, I don't think Dave would tell you uh, that it went how he thought it would go or if he kind of thought where it was going to go. Uh, it's one of those things that we very much have learned on this podcast. There is no one set way. Uh, this was Dave Jagler's way here on Play by Playcast. Everybody's path is different and, and very rarely is the path straight. And I mean, the, the thing about my path is I didn't ultimately know where I wanted the path to go. I mean, I, I, I think I knew I wanted to do uh, some sort of play-by-play on the on the professional level or the college level or you know ESPN network kind of level. Uh, maybe not necessarily knowing how to get there, but when you're sitting there in college and you're getting out of college, uh, the key to me was well, just just try to get that first job and and then see where it takes you. Um, so fortunately, when I was at Syracuse, uh, that my senior year, the football team was very good, uh, and, and the Orange ended up going to the Fiesta Bowl uh, out in Tempe. And a gentleman named Tony Caridi was doing uh, the network radio feed. It might have been for Mutual or Westwood One. He was doing the, uh, the, the network feed for that game. And uh, I knew he was a Syracuse guy, and he worked in Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, so I kind of knew who he was. Uh, introduced myself to him and, and made a connection there. Uh, so that was you know midway through my senior year. Uh, so the senior year, uh, second semester comes and, and goes, and uh, lo and behold, uh, the, the place in Morgantown, West Virginia, WAJR, had kind of been a, a pipeline uh, from Syracuse or from WADR right there. There have been a couple of, of guys previously who had gone there. So you know I kept in touch with Tony, and, and they had a job open, and it, uh, unfortunately for me, it was in news. So I, I took a job initially in Morgantown, you know, not long after graduation in news, which I was really, which was really an ill-equipped fit for me because I don't much like, like the news or covering <laughs> the news. I wanted to do sports, but it was a job and there was a sports component to it uh, in that uh, they did high school play-by-play. Uh, they were the flagship, uh, the West Virginia uh Network was flagship for Mountaineer football and basketball, WVU. So there, there was a sports component to it. It wasn't just totally news, but the, the, the bulk of my job was news, and it was covering city council meetings uh, in Morgantown, West Virginia, which, are, which is not exactly a compelling theater. Uh, so that you know, kind of did a little of everything, and, and they were mandatory six-day uh, six work weeks, long hours, uh, low pay, but a real good – proving ground. I mean, they had a very, very good operation there. Um, so I was there, it totaled nine months, but again, the connection I made at the Fiesta Bowl when I was still in school allowed me to get that first job. Uh, one of the other things that they did out of that studio was they were the distributor for the Virginia Tech uh, Hokie Network, football and, and basketball. And Bill Roth, another Syracuse guy, was the play-by-play guy for Virginia Tech at that time. And uh, so I ended up doing the studio uh, pre and post game scoreboard updates for their basketball games. And uh, a connection with Bill, uh, he was friends with a guy named Jim Brinson, who was the program director of a startup sports radio station in Charlotte. And they were looking for people. So Bill basically told Jim, you've got to hire Dave. Jim hired Dave. And, so, and there I was. And then all of a sudden, after nine months in Morgantown, I was down in Charlotte 
at, at basically a startup sports radio station. And the first week that I was in Charlotte, the Final Four was there. That was 1994, and the men's basketball Final Four was there the first week uh, that I worked down there. Uh, so Charlotte was a great opportunity for me, again, to, to do a lot of things. But, you know, first of all, I was, I was knee-deep in sports. I was doing sports only. Uh, it was sports updates primarily. Uh, the first, uh, first year there, I hooked up with Davidson College, which now everybody knows is uh, Steph Curry's alma mater. But back then, there was a small uh, Southern Conference basketball stool. I got to do some the play-by-play for those games for one year. Uh, the following year, I switched over to North Carolina Charlotte, which was a little bit more high-profile program. And I ended up doing seven years there, and I think they were in the NCAA tournament five out of those seven years. And, you know, that was a very good experience. The Charlotte Knights AAA team was there. So, like, 94, 95, uh, I, did, I was the number two guy doing home games because uh, the games were on our station. The games left our station, so I, I didn't do any baseball for a long time. But, uh, again, doing sports updates and ultimately moving into talk show work, I think that that ability to be conversational really served me well and was a good training ground for baseball play-by-play, even though I wasn't doing baseball. So basically from like 95 to 2001, I didn't do any baseball at all. I thought, of, I, thought I wanted to be an NBA announcer. And um, in 2001, uh, the, the, the lead play-by-play guy for the Charlotte Knights, I think his, his dad was sick and he, he needed someone to fill in. And so I did a few games and it really it, it sharpened my – my resume because I hadn't done baseball in about six years. So I had some, at least I had some fresh material and probably ended up doing six or seven games. Well, uh, in 2001, the program director at the station in Charlotte left to join a startup sports station in Boston and they got the rights to the, to the Celtics. So they offered me the job there with the carrot being, I would be the fill in play by play guy for the Celtics. So again, my focus then was I want to be an NBA play by play guy. Well, the best way to do that is to get an NBA tape. So it was only a handful of games a year, but it was it was something. You know, two or three NBA games a year on the resume, I thought would be a good entree into being a full-time guy in the league. So, again, went up to Boston, did talk show work, sports updates, and the occasional fill-in play-by-play. That was 2001 through 2005. Uh, the station started to, to really have problems financially, and it was pretty apparent the station was going to go under. Uh, but fortunately, the Pawtucket Red Sox had an opening, and I had made some connections there with folks in the front office just being up in New England. And uh, because I had those those games in Charlotte in 2001, I had a fairly recent sample of play-by-play. And 2005, was hired to be the lead announcer of the Pawtucket Red Sox. So, I mean, it kind of baseball really came out of nowhere. It was almost by necessity because I knew the station I was at was going to be going under, and I needed a job. And it was a chance to finally, at that stage of my life, do full-time play-by-play. And, uh, and that's how I got into baseball. And amazingly, one year later, I was with the Nationals. I mean, some guys are, are working in slating in AAA for, for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're outstanding announcers. I was fortunate to, to kind of have the player route. You, you spend one year in AAA, and you hope you get the call-up, and I did. Was it, and I know you said at the beginning that, you didn't exactly know kind of where you wanted it to take you from the outset, but as that's all happening and as your life is unfolding uh had you made a determination in your mind to say i i want to go the play-by-play route or i want to i'm enjoying the talk show route i want to go that way uh and and kind of how does that all unfold in your mind because i'm sure in 1997 you're trying to kind of plot out okay like where's this going to take me 
Um, and then in 2001, you're doing the same thing. And, and where did you kind of see that river carrying you as it was going and, and kind of where that light would be at the end of the tunnel? Well, that's an interesting question. And, and as I look back on it, I, you know, you wish you had the, the wisdom when you were younger that you have when you're older. I mean, uh, I, I was singular minded about wanting to do play by play. I did not enjoy talk show work particularly. I mean, it was, it was fun in a way, but to me, the, the fun, because I was doing play by play, uh, just not on a full time basis. I mean, I was doing the, the 30 college games when I was in Charlotte and when I was in Boston, I was doing, you know, three or four NBA games. So I, I had a taste of it and it's like, I, I wanted more of it because to me, it was far more exciting to be at the game describing the game, calling the game, and talking about the game the next day or debating about the game or why, uh, you know, coach or manager should have done this, that, or the other. So, I mean, I, I play by play is what I knew I was good at and what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, when you're sitting there and you're, you're working in, in the talk shows and it's not really what you want to do, you know, you don't know where the light of the, the tunnel is because there's no guarantee that, that someone's going to like your work or that uh, the, the pieces are going to fall in place for you to get that job. So uh, I probably didn't enjoy the, the journey to where I ended up as much because I, I so desperately wanted to get there. And if you, if you knew you were going to get there, you might have enjoyed the journey more. But it, it was constantly frustrating that, you know, I, I thought I was doing good work and, and qualified and just couldn't get the, the opportunity. And, you know, I, I thought I was a a good enough basketball announcer to be at the NBA level, but I, I couldn't get a sniff. I, I could not get a sniff as far as getting a professional basketball job, which made it weird that when I switched to baseball, it happened so quickly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that is. Maybe, maybe I was, you know, at, in the end I was much better, you know, destined to be in baseball as opposed to basketball, but, uh, or maybe it's just the breaks. I mean, who knows if I didn't get the nationals job, would I still be in AAA? I don't know. I mean, these, these jobs are so hard to get. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was constantly on my mind and it, it probably, you know, wore on me a lot that it didn't happen more quickly. But if you look at it with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, I was hired in 2006 by the Nationals. So I was 34 years old at the time. Uh, you know, it seemed like it took me a long time to get there, but there are other guys who are a lot older than that who haven't gotten there. So in the end, 34 is you know, it was still pretty young to be able to, to get that opportunity at the big league level. Did you ever have that thought while you were going through that process that, you know, I'm not enjoying the talk show side of it. I'm just going to go to Billings and do a bowl and see if that route works for me. No, you know, I, I didn't because just the stage of my life, I mean, I was married That's fair. and yeah. I had, I had a son in 2000 when I was in Charlotte. My daughter was born in 2004 when I was in Boston so even, you know, going to, to the AAA it was, a, was a little bit of a pay cut uh, when, I, when I joined Pawtucket. But, I mean, I was able to supplement it with some TV work there and some, some freelance work. So, you know, fortunately, my, my wife has a, has a really good job, and she was the stable one. I mean, she, uh, I mean, she had the stable income so that, you know, if I took a step back, it didn't, it didn't cripple the family. But I was not in the position personally to be able to, to make that big of a leap. Whereas someone who, you know, is just coming up, you know, if you're 24, 25 and you're, you're unattached, then, then yeah, maybe you can make that jump down to, to the single A and climb that ladder. But it was a little bit of a jump for me to, to go to triple A. But again, with the scenario I was in at the radio station, you know, you, you knew that, that the end was coming fairly soon. It was just a matter of when. So uh, it, it was a no brainer to make that move at that point. 
And again, you know, Pawtucket at that stage and, and, and the legacy is built, you know, with me. And since I've left, that's been a pretty good place to be as far as getting to the next level with the major leagues. And at that point, you had Gary Cohen and Don Arcillo and then Dave Fleming and Andy Freed. Dave with the Giants and Andy with the Rays had gone to the big leagues in consecutive years. So uh, when I was able to go in 2006, they had three consecutive years where an announcer went from Pawtucket to the major leagues. That is an amazing streak. And right now, um, or maybe eight, seven or eight of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball have an ex-Pawtucket announcer in their booth, either in radio or TV. It's it's crazy what uh, what a... um, a building block that has been or just a path to the major leagues a stepping stone if you will you probably get this question a lot and i i mean i know they just they they take it very seriously um but why else do you think it is that it's such a breeding ground well i mean my, my simple answer to that and I, I am asked it a lot is and I, it's the only place in the minor leagues i, I work full-time but i know from their perspective they they wanted to hire the best announcer. They wanted to hire an announcer they thought was a major league announcer. I think a lot of places in the minor leagues, they're hiring someone who can sell and make money, and the announcing is secondary. Uh, for them, announcing was first, and they, they wanted the, the big league sound. So the, the way they, they went through the process was interesting. They, they basically had everybody in the front office uh, gather in a room, and they would play the different uh, uh, play-by-play samples of, of the hopefuls. And, and it was a vote. And the, the staff didn't get the final say, but it was almost like an NCAA tournament where you, know, you listen to, to two announcers, well, which one do you like better? And, and, and it was survive in advance. So it was almost like a, a focus group of people who were, who were baseball fans and who do I like listening to? Interesting. And it's, it's really – I had never heard of anyone, any other organization doing it that way before or since, but it worked because you had people who were around the game and in the game and, and used to hearing good announcing with the Red Sox. Well, what, what sounds good to you and, and to, to the group? And that's how they would winnow the field down to the finalists. And ultimately, you know, they'd bring them in for interviews and, and, the, and the team president and, and general manager would ultimately make the final hire. But as far as, as getting that, that group of finalists, it's like they had their own focus group. That's got to be sort of validating in and of its own right, isn't it? Well, I mean... <laughs> they did. Uh, they, they chose well. I mean, if you look at the, the track record, yeah. that, that that front office had a pretty good, pretty good idea what they were looking for. Uh, you mentioned the talk background, um, and I've read articles too where you've kind of equated it to baseball um, and being able to have that conversation on air. Um, what is it particularly though about hosting a talk show that equates well to baseball more so than? just being able to be a, a regular conversationalist, if that, if that makes sense. What is it about the particular skill set of having to host a show um, that carries over to basically having to, to host a game, for, for lack of a better way to put it? Well, uh, I guess it was kind of the show that, that I did or had to do. Uh, the shows that I was on were never all that highly rated, and sometimes we didn't get a lot of phone calls. So how are you going to fill the time? You have to be able to... Uh, to, to ad lib, to converse, to tell a story, to, to think on your feet. So, you know, you know if you think of it, it's a talk show with two or three guys and they're yelling and screaming at each other. Well, no, that, that to me is not a good uh, training ground for baseball. I mean, I, that's not what I want from a play-by-play broadcast, but, you know, you have to be someone that people enjoy listening to. So uh, to me, it just gave me the skill set to be able to fill time and, and fill it uh, in an entertaining and informative fashion. So, 
it, it, I remember there was a, you know, several occasions where I had to host a show solo for four hours. And over the course of four hours, I might get four phone calls and we get a guest here and there. Well, how are you going to fill the time? It was a, it was a pretty invaluable experience to me that that might not be uh, the same for, for every talk show host, but for mine, uh, it was a, a terrific experience. So I thought it was very valuable. Now, the act of actually uh, calling play-by-play, well, you, you get better by doing games and and feeling the rhythm of the game and knowing when to lay out. Uh, so many guys that, that I hear who send me stuff from the minor leagues, uh, it, it's almost, and even if it's a solo broadcast, it's, it's constant dialogue. There's never uh, a moment to let the game breathe or, or take a breath. It's like dead air. And, and we're kind of taught this in radio that dead air is evil. Well, in a three-hour baseball game, especially if you're doing it solo in the minor leagues or even in the major leagues, you don't have to fill all three hours front to back. So once you get up and get the chance to do games, it's about learning the pacing of the game, the rhythm of the game, and, and how to let the game breathe. Uh, I think that that you can only learn by, by doing games. And, and you know, the year in, in the minor leagues, plus the time I had done in AAA down in Charlotte, was helpful. So – uh, I think it was a good combination of all those skills. That's probably part of the answer to, to my next question. Um, but I know you and Charlie like to interact a lot, um, more so than just having a play-by-play guy while the other guy kind of s- bides his time till his innings. Um, how do you guys, I don't know if orchestrate that is the, the right way to say it, um, but is there kind of like a co-prep in some way where you, you say, listen, like, all right, Charlie, let's go over what we've got tonight. Here's what I've got. Here's what you've got. We're on the same page. So it's not... I don't know, you're not you're never surprised by something he wants to talk about. He's never surprised by something you want to talk about and there's there's kind of a preset these are in I guess kind of talk show fashion like hey this is something that might come up tonight. Let's let's be ready to talk about it. No, actually absolutely the opposite. Uh we we don't we don't talk about it at all. And occasionally we'll we'll joke uh one of our little uh you know, fall back inside joke lines. We always use is you know, rehearsing your ad libs. Uh, we will drop that. And we'll say like, well, that didn't go like rehearsal. Well, we, we never rehearse anything. There is no, there is no script. There's no, you know, Hey, I want to talk about this or you want to talk about that. I mean, it's just wherever the game takes us. And, you know, one, one thing about, about him and, and one thing about, but what I do is, I mean, I would stack our preparation up against any, broadcast crew. I mean, I, I put together a pretty uh, significant uh, file for the team that we're playing and he does the same. So, you know, we have our, our information and, and as far as being up to date on what's going around the league, uh, we're, we're up to date on all that. So you've got that to call on plus uh, time around the clubhouse, visiting with the players, you're, you're, ac- you're accumulating um, talking points and, and storylines throughout the course of the day. It's just a matter of sometimes what you accumulate might not be relevant to what's going on in the game. So there, there's that feel that, you know, hey, I have all this information, but do you just give the information for the sake of, of it? No. You, you know, if there's something that you have that's relevant to what's going on in the game, that's when you want to utilize that, that particular thing. And as far as uh, the back and forth, you know, I, I think that that's just kind of our, our shared philosophy and it's not the philosophy of, of everyone. And, and certainly uh, guys and you know, back in the day, it was kind of, you do your innings and then uh, the color guy doesn't do anything. And then you switch off and he does his innings. Well, I, I guess we're, we're kind of from a different approach and we both agree that that's kind of the way we feel is the best way to do a game, that there, there is that by play and, and inter- interaction and conversational 
nature. And, uh, you know, as, as many big plays as you can call or, or whatever, when we hear from fans, no one ever comes up and says, you know, man, you, your call on the, on the double last night was perfect. You, you, you had the outfielder placement. You had, you had the carom plate off the wall. You, you called the, the position. Boy, you just called that double perfectly. No one ever says that to you. The thing that the thing they come up to you and talk to you about, hey, you remember that time you were talking about when, where you went out to eat or, or some, <laughs> some off-the-cuff story, and, and, and we get a back and forth. Uh, th- those are the th- things that people remember and, and want to talk to you about and, and latch on to. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you can't, it's harder to do that if you're just talking by yourself. So th- those are the, I think that's kind of why, uh, the, the fans here in Washington have, have appreciated us is because of the chemistry we have. And that, that creates just on its own, uh, you know, some funny moments. And, you know, if you're a fan, well, maybe, you know, you're, you're more Charlie's age, you relate to him, or maybe you're a fan who's my age, you relate to, you know, someone in the booth might share your perspective and, uh, you know, then we come from two different perspectives and it makes for interesting radio. This is going to be an extreme example, but uh, what's the right way to go from, um, you know, here's David uh, or, or here's Daniel Murphy, uh, the 2-2 two, two is in the dirt, 3-2 to, uh, hey, Charlie, uh, here's where we had dinner last night. Kind of, What's the right way to dive into stories that are sometimes a little bit non sequitur or sometimes loosely tied in, but are still entertaining to the overall product without being just like, bam, I just hit you over the head with, with this, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it, it makes total sense. And, and to me, it's, it's about the, the, the game, the, the pace of the game, uh, the score of the game. You know, if you're, if you're in a, a, a one to nothing pitchers duel and you know, it's a big game and this, it, the, the game carries itself. I mean, a lot of the, you know, People will come up and, like I said, they'll say to us, "Man, you, you guys are, you guys crack me up. You're funny, blah blah blah." Well, there, there's certain games you might listen to for, for two and a half hours, and we don't say a whole lot that's funny because we're we're calling the game, and sure. and that's what the game dictates. But, you know, some of these games are longer, drawn out. You know, some games are going to be nine to one. Well, that's when you earn your money. You know, why why is someone going to listen to your broadcast when it's nine to one and the, the outcome of this game is decided in the third inning? That's to me when you when you can kind of uh, experiment and, and have a little fun and, uh, and and challenge yourself. Now, admittedly, the first six years I was with the Nationals, the team did not have a winning season, so we had a lot of those games, <laughs> especially the first four years when twice they lost a hundred games. So that that's when we did a, a lot of that. Uh, you know, as the Nationals the last five years and now six have been either a first place team or contending, we've probably shied away from that more. So, yeah, if you're in a two to one game and there's a big spot, you're not going to be clowning around or, or talking about stuff that, that's off the cuff. Now, you, you can weave in um, a story relative to uh, to a player, uh, his, his history, his background story over the course of a close game. I mean, if you know, and, and there are a lot of guys in the major leagues who have very interesting backgrounds and stories, and 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 Vince Scully was obviously the master of that, and, and no one can can top what he did. But um, yeah, if, if you have a relief pitcher coming in and he's overcome two Tommy John surgeries and uh, incredible odds to get to this point, um, yeah, you, you you can work that in over the course of an inning in between pitches. Baseball allows you to do that. Um, but as far as just kind of you know. 
trying to trying to turn into the comedy hour when it's a three to two game. That's not the time to do it. Is is there a right way to do the relief pitcher has two Tommy John surgeries, or is it legitimately just Frank had two Tommy John surgeries and you go into it? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, you, you kind of weave it. You kind of weave it into the the flow of the broadcast and uh, being careful ne- on radio never to miss the action. I mean. Um, you know, the, the Nationals just traded for uh, Brandon Kinsler, I and mean, his story is amazingly interesting. He was a 40th round pick, and then he was released. He was an independent ball for three years. He was selling season tickets in the off season for his independent team. You can weave that in in between the the 1-0 pitch and the the 1-1 pitch if you're if you're really good at it. And if it's a long at bat, you can get you can get a lot in. So yeah, I mean, you just you just kind of uh, take it into the flow of the conversation and go with it, and then. Um, you know, if, if the ball's put in play and you've got to describe a base hit or a, or a line drive or a double play or whatever, well, then you, you get back to it when, when the pace slows back down. It's just, you know, it, it's kind of what we do. Will you drop a story, too? If you're, if you're talking about Brandon Kinsler, all of a sudden he gives up a jack, there's two more base hits. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's easier to just, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that at another time and not make it a convoluted type of inning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, and that's why you always have to be uh, really careful. It's, it's never a good thing to start uh, something that you might that you might know will take a little bit of time with two outs because yeah, you never know. Yeah, true. You never know when you're going to, you know, when that last pitch is going to come and you got to go to the commercial break. And, you know, there, there are times that it happens. And, you know, sometimes you start something one out and the guy hits into a double play. And, yeah, you, you know, I, I try not to let something – you know, kind of dangle out there unfinished. Now, you may have to give the abridged ending, but you at least want to get to the finish line. It's just, it, sometimes that happens, but uh, ideally you, you, you weave it into the, to the flow of the inning and, and you, get, you get where you want to go. How'd you like your foray into, uh, into television uh, this year? I guess game aside, because the, the one-hitter was a, a neat aside to it. Um, but what, yeah. was, what was fun and what was different about it? Well, you know, it's definitely it was a challenge. You know, just because I've done I've done so much more radio than television, and so to me, it's a constant battle. Of, I'm so used to, you know, on radio setting up the pitch and describing the pitch. So it, it was a constant battle for me of what not to say, and that's not a comfortable feeling for me. So I, I can't say that I enjoyed that aspect of it. But I mean, there there's certain aspects that once the ball's put in play. And you can, you know, you call it and you, you don't have to be quite as descriptive, but you can still build the excitement of, you know, a fly ball in the air that could potentially be a home run. I mean, you're, you're sitting there watching, describing it like you would on radio, uh, waiting to see if it would go over the wall as the fans are watching with you to see if it will go over the wall. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought there were some exciting calls. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I've often asked myself what I, what I want to do it full time on television. I, I don't know that I would, but. Again, I, I don't. No one's ever offered it to me. I don't know if it would in the future, but it would certainly be something that would be re- it would be really hard to to leave radio just because that's what I've done. It's what I love to do. So, well, did I enjoy aspects of it? Yes. Did I did I love it to the point that I I'm dying to do it again tomorrow? No, not really. I mean, to me, you know, radio is is what I do, and um, it was very comfortable to be back in the radio chair uh, when the TV stint was done. Did you get used to that that feeling? Cause I, it's funny you say that because 
most of what I do is in radio. When I go to television, um, right? I mean, the first times I did it, and it still exists now a little bit, there's that that naked feeling of, I know I'm supposed to talk here on radio, but I know I'm not supposed to talk here now. Oh, my gosh, what do I do? Yeah. Um, totally. <laughs> did that go away? How long did that take to go away? Uh, it, it took a couple games. Uh, and, it, you know, I, I can't say that it was totally not there on the last day, too. I mean, uh, it, I did. I think I got into a nice rhythm. You know, the, I ended up doing six games. You know, games five and six were, were easier sure. than game one and two. Um, you know, the, and uh, working with F.P. Santangelo, I mean, he was, he was very welcoming and, and good to work with. So that, that was an easy transition. Um, you know, I think you, you try on television uh, to uh, bring in the analyst more, you know, whereas with when I'm working with Charlie on the radio, I, I don't I don't generally like set him up with a question. I mean, if I say something and then I'm done, he, he'll know where I'm going. He can pick it right up. It's just, you know, we've worked together that long to me on, on television. Uh, you know, radio is a play by play announcers medium and television is an analyst medium. You've got to set up the analysts. So there are times where, you know, you, you're going to um, dictate the conversation, pose a question, you know, he played in the major leagues, you know, what, what is this, what is this hitter thinking here in this spot? Well, you know, I, I certainly have my opinion having watched thousands of games, but he played the game. So let me, let me bring out his opinion. I, I did ended up doing a lot more of that on the television side than I, than I would on the radio side. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think game five and six, it was, it was fine, but, uh, still, if you're not careful, if you're if you're used to it, you can you can slide back into radio play by play really easily. I would be remiss if I uh, if I did not uh, mention your time at Syracuse and, and WAER. Um, we actually had Caridi on the podcast last week, um, and we talked about guys that he crossed over with when he was in college, and he was telling stories of being roommates with McDonough um, and. Uh, what it's like when you're at WAER and, and you're with those groups of guys. Um, and now you kind of look at it and it's like, oh, well, if you only knew then. Um, who were you in school with and kind of who did you overlap with and, and what was it like in the, uh, in the early 90s at AER? Well, my freshman year was fall, uh, fall of 89. I actually didn't jo- – I joined AER a semester late. I The first – Semester freshman year, I, I was at WJPZ, and so that that got me on the air very quickly. You were much, it's much easier to get on the air more quickly at JPZ. I didn't really yeah. know about AER right away, but then kind of you know through word of mouth heard, well, you know, oh, this is the station where you can do the basketball and the football. <laughs> so I was a semester behind everybody. So I joined second semester freshman year as basically I think you were you were called a writer, yep. which means you you wrote your sports cast and you did it, but it didn't go on the air and it was critiqued by the upperclassmen. Well, the, the guy who critiqued my, uh, my, my tapes back when I was a freshman was Ian Eagle. So that was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good uh, training ground. And, uh, you know, the one thing, and I've, I've crossed paths with Ian, you know, several times over the years. Um, I, I'll, I'll never forget this. When uh, I think it was Ian's first year with the New Jersey Nets, uh, they came into Charlotte. And I was working down in Charlotte, and I you know, got in touch with him and met him for, met him for lunch. And I, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's the, what's the key to the journey? <laughs> kind of what you asked me the first question. Yeah. And, and his, his answer was that he goes, there's no, there's no right answer. It's not like you'd go. And I think at the time I was doing Davidson, he goes, it's not like you do Davidson for three years. And then you go do Wake Forest for four years. And then you're ready for the NBA and you go to the NBA. I and mean, there's no, 
there's no roadmap. And that that's kind of, I mean, that's proved to be true. I mean, my, my roadmap was all over the place going from um, basketball and then, you know, kind of jumping late into baseball. So uh, Ian was kind of the big, the big star when I was there as a senior. Um, as far as my classmates at AER, I mean, uh, I did a whole lot of football games with Eric Cohen, and Eric is still still up there. Yeah. Uh, we we actually we share the same birth date, okay. October 16, 1971. We were born on the exact same day, and we spent our 21st birthday together in Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, the night before uh, uh, an SU West Virginia football game. So that was a uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, as far as the, the most notable guy that I did games with, that would probably be Dave Pash. Pash was a year younger than me, and so we did a, a lot of basketball and, and football together as he was a, a sophomore and I was a junior, and then I was a senior and he was a junior. So uh, those were kind of the, the notable guys of, of my vintage. What was 1989 Iron Eagle like? <laughs> uh, not that different from now. I mean, you, you just <laughs> – he just uh, oozed talent. He was, he was so smooth on the air. You, you know, you just you knew that this guy was going to go places. Uh, there was no there was no doubt about it. Um, last question, uh, Dave, and I'll let you go on this note because I know I, I got to let you get to uh, to the ballpark. But uh, did you use a Bob Carpenter scorebook before you worked for the Nationals, or is that like come with the territory now that you <laughs> you're in Washington? Uh, in fact, I, I did. Okay. Use the Bob Carpenter <laughs> scorebook for my my uh, 2005 season in Pawtucket, uh, but the small world. When I was doing games in at uh, North Carolina Charlotte, they were in Conference USA, and Bob was ESPN's primary Conference USA announcer. Okay. So I, I, I used to see Bob probably two or three times a year. He would do a, a Charlotte 49ers game either in Charlotte or on the road. So, I mean, I got to know Bob, you know, I wouldn't say well, but like, you know, we, we would certainly, you know, whenever he'd come to do a Charlotte game, we would talk about the team and I'd give him my perspective. And so we got to know each other, you know, fairly well over the years. So um, it, it was, uh, it was good to get reacquainted with him in 2006. And he is my, he is my golfing buddy on the road. And uh, the good thing is uh, working for the nationals, he has uh, he has donated a Bob Carpenter scorebook every year that I've worked for the Nationals to to the cause. I'm, I've tried to I've tried to pay him, but uh, a thank you is all he'll accept, and uh, I, I certainly appreciate that. It's a great tool. You just pick up a round of golf or, or two, and then or, or three, and then you're you're square. Oh no, we're no, we're we're competitive. We're not. We're, you know, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Dave, if people uh, wanted to find you on Twitter or, or say hello on social media or something, I know a lot of good Nationals nuggets if they follow you. Uh, where do they find you? Yeah, it's just my name. It's at Dave Jagler, D-A-V-E-J-A-G-E-L-E-R. Uh, I pretty much only tweet about Nationals and, and baseball, basically Nationals. Before every game, I try to find like five or six nuggets that I'll, that I'll shoot out. Uh, and I'll, I'll tweet about that night, those nights starting pitchers, and uh, Nationals fans seem to uh, appreciate the knowledge. So I, I had to dig a little bit. The, the Nationals' last game, there was a walk-off grand slam for uh, for Howie Kendrick. And one one thing that I'm pretty good at is I've got a, a real good memory for notable 
uh, things that have, that have happened now in, in my 12 years with the team. I missed the 05 season. I've done every year with the Nationals except for the first year in 05. And so when, when Kendrick hit the Grand Slam, I knew right away that there have been three other walk-off Grand Slams in, in Nationals history. And, and two of them are by Ryan Zimmerman, who still plays for the team. And the other is by a guy named Justin Maxwell. And I had seen Justin Maxwell 48 hours before the walk-off Grand Slam by Howie Kendrick. He'd been down on the warning track because he lives here in the area. He played for the Giants and the Nationals. So it's like Justin Maxwell was at the top of my mind. And as soon as Howie Kendrick hit that home run, my first thought was Justin Maxwell. So I'll have some uh, some Twitter nuggets about uh, walk-off Grand Slams as far as uh, uh, the game before we're talking. That is Dave Jagler of the Washington Nationals joining us here on PXP Cast. Uh, we're in the same club, by the way, he and I. Uh, neither of us were at WAER our first semester at Syracuse. We both went to WJPZ, Z89. It's one of the other student radio stations. does women's basketball, women's lacrosse, high school football. Uh, I didn't make the cut at WAER my, my freshman year. I, I got cut before I ever walked in the door. So I, I went to Z89 and then came back my second semester and... Uh, went from there and everything worked out okay but uh it, it's it's the not at w8er your first semester club i i have found another member uh D- dave jagler uh was in it back in the 90s i i joined him in the uh the mid 2000s uh, quick random aside as far as that is concerned gonna totally switch things up on you next week alan bestwick will be our guest uh formerly of espn and nbc and uh, Motor Racing Network, guy who goes back a long time and is very synonymous with auto racing, both NASCAR and IRL most recently. He did the most recent Indianapolis 500 on, on uh, ABC and uh, was also one of the guys that was part of the the massive layoffs at ESPN back in April as well. And Alan does talk to us about uh, what that was like for him at the beginning of April and, and what is next for Alan Bestwick as well. We'll talk about a lot of motor racing, um, a lot of prep of motor racing, how you actually do motor racing, what it's like working with a, a team, the size that you have to have in terms of a racing television broadcast as well. We touch on a lot of different things with Alan Bestwick. I'm very much looking forward uh, to you guys hearing that conversation coming up next week. Uh, many thanks as always to Dave Jagler. Many thanks to you guys for uh, joining us if you haven't yet, do please hit subscribe. You'll get this podcast downloaded to your phone automatically every week when it drops on Friday. If you do that, and if you enjoy the podcast, please do take the second to uh, it, just just hit the stars. Uh, it takes, it takes you a second. Uh, however many stars you think we're worth, uh, throw a rating our way. Uh, a rating or review goes a long way uh, to both help our, our rankings in the the. Algorithms for iTunes, but it also helps us get advertisers and uh, help keep this podcast going and and uh, all of that good uh, entrepreneurial stuff. Uh, I guess factors in there as well. Uh, that being said, we'll talk to you with Alan Bestwick next Friday morning. This is PXP Cast. My name is Joel Gadet, and we are out. Hit it, Marshall.